What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Stacking Slaps podcast. This is your hobby content alternative, and I'm your host still, Brett McGrath. Are you having fun collecting sports cards? I hope you are. I'm sitting here recording this in my house, and the sickness is real. I feel like every time I get up here, I'm reporting on some new sickness. Uh, Daughter, virus, daycare, fevers, all of that. We're doing okay over here, but man, it's hard out here. And I'm looking forward to a little break, a couple weeks, trying to get out of Dodge, head down south, get a little R&R, all those things. Feeling a little bit like I've been on the hamster wheel. You know what I mean? Um, But it's all good. I'm here. I'm recording a conversation by myself, but you're listening, and it's going to be about sports cards. I I'm going to the blowout forums for this one. Okay, so I am seeking uh, what makes a specific set collectible, and the answer will not be complete by the end of this recording. But I spent a significant time exploring conversations. And so I'm going to report back on that at the end of this episode. Um, But you know this wouldn't be a Stacking Slabs podcast episode without plugging our unofficial sponsor for this week. Very, very thrilled. Um, We've got a clothing brand, apparel. If you're in the apparel world and you make stuff I like, then you will have a chance to be an unofficial sponsor. You can get at me at Stacking Slabs across all the social channels. You can also hit me up, stackingslabs at gmail.com. I do look at the email. I want to thank our good friends from Zubaz, um, the Zubaz Pant Group, um, making just very great pants that we can wear to the gym, we can wear to the mall, um, pants that stand out and scream 90s and nostalgia. I know football players like these pants. I know wrestlers like these pants. I like wrestlers. I like football players. And I love the designs that the great people at Zubaz are putting together. Um, So if you're out there and you're looking to stand out and not look like everybody else and rep your favorite team or just rep a color scheme that you deeply love and makes you feel good inside, check out Zubaz. Great pants and uh, happy to have them on board. It is WrestleMania week as I record this. I think back to WrestleMania 8 here in Indianapolis every time it's WrestleMania season because it was at the Hoosier Dome. It was a pivotal moment in my childhood where I couldn't believe that the guys that I saw on TV were actually coming to my city put on the biggest show of the year. The double main event that year, we had Macho Man Randy Savage versus Nature Boy Ric Flair for the strap. Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice and the return of the ultimate warrior. Um, It was a hell of a time. I remember being scared shitless when The Undertaker's gongs hit. Um, I was terrified of The Taker and Paul Bear. The match that I think is the most memorable from that is the Bret Hart versus Rowdy Piper Intercontinental match. If you're looking to go back and look at a match that ages really well, that is one of them. Um, I've been to several since WrestleMania 8. 
Um, I will not be going to LA this year. I'm sitting this one out. I will be watching from the friendly confines of my home. If you're out there and you're going to WrestleMania, I would love a report and uh, eyes on the ground uh, or feet on the ground, I guess, as they say in the biz report. Let me know if you're going, but it is shaping up. My best friend in the world will be in town, so we're going to watch WrestleMania Saturday night. We're going to get some pizza, Detroit style. A shout out to Futuro, which is a pizza joint in Indianapolis. It is a inconspicuous You would never know it existed, but the Futura pizza here in Indianapolis is my favorite pizza. The buttery crust, oh boy, it's good. And I can't, I've I've saved my pizza card and I'm waiting to cash it in this Saturday for WrestleMania. We're going to be getting a lot of pizza, going to be eating and watching the graps. I can't wait. And I'll say, you know, this one will be, this is the Sunday, the main event, but the Roman and Cody of it all, man, I am fired up cutting promos it's really good so exciting excited that wrestlemania is on the other side of this opportunity for me to escape feel like a kid again and enjoy some wrestling on the wrestling card front they show there was a preview post of revolution looks like kabooms are going to be in there um we'll see i i uh, what happens i will say um, I'm not sure wrestling cards follow the same trajectory always as everything else. Um, but collectors in this segment like to move towards the new stuff and we'll see if the kabooms can get people all jazzed up like it does in other segments. I'm guessing it will be, and we'll probably see a run up and we'll probably see a drop. That's how it goes. Um, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm anti-mainstream, <laughs> And kabooms scream mainstream to me, and I don't want to offend anybody who loves the kaboom. I just don't think the cards are special, mostly because they're not rare at all. The only, you know, potentially cool, rare kabooms are, you know, the golds or the one of ones. But I was pulling up a pop report of, I think, 2001 football kabooms in absolute, and there was like 3,200 that were graded just at PSA alone. So, I will probably make this statement, and this statement is not to say don't get excited and jacked up about kabooms, but the statement is don't pay attention to what the hobby mainstream is pushing down your throat because likely it's going to go up and most certainly it's going to go down. And I was looking at what we were talking about last year at this time, March 2022, which seems like yesterday, and one of the episode titles that came around this this time was called preparing yourself as a collector for the mainstream of the hobby. And we're continuing to talk about that because you got to share your thoughts on what you're hearing and seeing, and you don't want to get sucked into what all of the people that are really, really loud and want you to see them have to say, because most of the time the advice sucks and all of the time whatever they're pushing goes down in price. So just make that be known. We don't like the mainstream over here. We like to keep it authentic, real, and just talk about cards because we're passionate collectors, right? That's why you tune on to the show. We got the Mickey Mouse fake prism of it all going on. People are pushing these things down our throats. You know, I'll tell you this. I am a father who is trying to push the daughter off of Coco Melon 24-7 and into Disney Plus. We're getting the Moana going. Good songs, 
all this stuff. We got Frozen going, and I can get the connection. And I don't want to sound like a, a sourpuss to anyone who's into the Disney front. So I get that, like getting into it. But man, the run up on these things, just nuts. But it's no surprise. This is what happens. This is the hobby. So for me, it's always just make sure, focused in on what you're deeply passionate about. Don't overextend yourself. And at the end of the day, buy cards that make you feel good. Has anyone pulled that black finite or whatever they're calling it, Mickey Mouse yet? I don't know, but we might have our next $2 million card on our hand, or at least that's what they're going to tell us. I want to thank everyone for the feedback on the episode with Grant Slayton, Waldorf Stories. Really enjoyed that chat. Uh, it's a long time coming. I know he doesn't do a lot of these things, so I'm pumped that he decided, hey, you know what? Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative, is a worthwhile program for me to share my story. And that's what we did. I think I got a ton of good feedback and responses. I'm really pumped that he told the Kobe Green PMG story and the stories about dealing uh, the MJ M- MJ PMG Championship with MK Sports Cards. Um, to me, there's two primary themes that I pulled from these conversations. The two primary themes are the value of relationships and timing. Let's talk about relationships first because I don't want to gloss over it. I know we can just keep going and going and going and next episode and next topic. And But what I try to do here up front is try to reflect a little bit and go back just so we don't forget what we just learned. And so on the relationships front, I think the cards that we all need are likely sitting in the collections of people who do not make these cards available. I think about over the years, I have um, owned two different Jeep Wranglers, okay? Uh, I had one in high school, and then when I got out of college, I got my second Jeep Wrangler. Now, Jeep Wranglers are cool cars. Um, I think that's undeniable. Um, they're fun. I enjoy them, even though I'm not much of a car guy, but there was this gimmick with the Jeep people. And if you have a Wrangler, you know what I'm about to say, but you know, you drive by another Wrangler, people wave at you. It's this gimmick thing. And I think about that and the Jeep wave of it all. And I think about the collector to collector of it all. And it's almost like when we're navigating through the hobby, when we identify and see another collector who needs or wants something that we have, we give them a little wave and it's, well, we might not have something available. We're more likely to have a conversation with them because we know we're in it for the same reasons. You can't reach the level, this level, unless you build and nurture the right relationships in the hobby. I think sharing your cards, I continue to encourage anyone who listens or anyone who cares to just share what you like, share what you collect. The more I've shared, the more I've benefit, benefited. But it's also the building of rapport. The other thing that I think is important that I picked up on, and this wasn't called out directly, but to me it was a theme of how Grant operated, is this idea of reciprocity. So do you know what reciprocity is? If you don't know what reciprocity is, uh, the an example I always like to turn to is thinking about when you're going grocery shopping and you're walking through the aisles and you're already hungry. You're seeing all the food. You're seeing all that you just hadn't eaten. And then you turn the aisle and then there's, you hear the, the sizzling, the sizzle sound. You're like, what the hell is that sizzle sound? And your stomach starts rumbling and there's the, the, the individual at the corner of the aisle and gotten the gr- little mini grill going. 
little foreman style and you hear the sizzle and you smell it. You start smelling bacon and it's that candied bacon. You're like, damn, that candy bacon smells good. I'm starving. So you walk by and you're like, got our little, you know, ketchup cups out with samples and you're like, I shouldn't, but I'm going to. Now you take that sample and you eat that candied bacon and it's satisfying that immediate need and that urge you have. Now, when you take, you swallow that bacon, you look at the, the, the person behind the George Foreman grill and what happens next? She or he starts to explain the product, what it's about, how much it costs, where you can find it in the store. And what do you do as a person who just consumed this candy bacon? You don't just move on. You listen to the sales pitch because you were given something up front to keep you engaged. Now, this is reciprocity. And this is something that I hear Grant talk about um, where it's, hey, I'm going to give up a little bit up front or I'm going to think about this thing not as a one-time transaction. I'm going to think about it as a, a long-term deal and it's all going to kind of even itself out. I think there's such a transactional nature of the hobby and going against the grain of that stands out. The mainstream promotes the grind, the flip, the squeezing every penny. That's cool. That's how people have businesses to run. People have mouths to feed. I get it. And I'm not anti-grinding, flipping, squeezing. But I think when you're a collector and you're trying to acquire the biggest cards imaginable, the one you have to think and operate a little bit differently. I think what's cooler is building your reputation to a place where you are able to buy, sell cards to people who know you need them and you know regularly. It's this amazing thing you get going on where you're working in tandem and it's almost like a harmonious operating in the hobby. And I think when you can find one, two, five, ten people who you can work that with, you're always getting in cool cards. Always. And you're always efficiently moving cards out. So relationships, relationships, relationships. The other thing is timing. So some of the nuggets I picked up on in the conversation, especially when we were talking about the Kobe Green. So um, he got Grant got offered the Kobe Green for 40K. He had to back away from that because you know, his first son was being born. He's buying, uh, he was closing in on the plot of land for his new bar and restaurant. And then the guy who owned the Kobe came back to him and said, Hey, you really need this car. But by the way, the price is up 45K. So Grant ended up getting the card. And then you heard him say that the other Kobe that this seller had, he sold for $2 million. And then Grant sold his for that same week. So, you know he bought it for 45k and you know the other seller sold it for 2 million. You think Grant did okay on his Kobe sale? I think so. So I think moves can be made that keep you ahead for a while, but it's all about timing. I think OGs like Grant learn from them. There's so many out there and I try to bring these people on this show so you all can learn. And it's impossible to predict the future, but if you have the confidence in cards, it's always a good time to go all in on what you like. Because you never know. I think it's all about cardboard conviction, cardboard conviction. If you have the passion, you have the knowledge, you have the insight, and you're buying these cards, especially if you have no expectations, but you're buying them because you deeply love them, that's usually when those cards gain value over time. And it can't be viewed. Everything is measured by flip, transaction, immediate returns. That's not how life works. 
That's not how cards, long-term success in cards work. Have people done great at these the flip game? Absolutely. Do we need these people? 100%. They make cards available. But I'm saying for the majority of individuals that are collecting cards and listening to this podcast, you cannot think about gaining value and your cards gaining value over a short term. It takes a while and you got to have those steady hands. But it's easy to have those steady hands and hold cards when you love them. It's when you look at your case of cards and be like, why the fuck did I buy this silver prism of this rookie who's getting 10 minutes a game on the Charlotte Hornets, you know? And that's just a hype. Well, that's no doubt. Not not knocking any team, not knocking any brand, but that's that kind of scenarios I'm thinking about. So I learned a lot from that episode. I'm feeling super inspired. I hope you are too. We're going to be bringing more of these to you. This week, I have a returning guest, second time on the the Stacking Size Podcast. I have my man, Jameson, Exquisite Sports Collectibles. He's going to be coming in on Friday. Wanted to bring him in. It's WrestleMania season. Talk a little wrestling. We're going to talk about auctions. I know he's deeply involved selling cards at auctions. He's got some badass cards, um, and he's got some cool stuff going on. So excited to bring Jameson back on the program. All right. I want to spend the rest of this episode exploring this question. And this is a question that is always on my mind, will always be on my mind, and will not be answered at the end of this episode. But I hope it gets you all to think. So the question is, how does a certain set, product, or parallel become collectible? Like I just mentioned, we're not going to answer this today in this podcast, but we're going to start the conversation. I think it takes a lot of different perspectives, research, data points to prove this out. I think the first thing we want to look at is traits because obviously traits matter. So we we think about traits, some easy ones to think about are aesthetics and appearance. So the moment when you get the card in your hand for the first time, it needs to make you feel something. You know when you get that mail day, you know when it moves you a little bit. The card itself, when you hold it and it hits the light, it makes you feel something. To me, the making me feel something is always on the shiny side. I, it's not... Those are the cards that I like. Those are the cards that I admire. And I love design patterns. I love shiny stuff. And to me, those are the types of cards I desire typically. For you, it can be something else. But whatever it is, aesthetics and appearance matter. So the card can't feel like a commodity. It must feel like something more special. Easy one to call out, but scarcity. Manufactured scarcity, short printed stuff. This matters when we're talking about collectible stuff. You can't have a oversupply of specific cards because that's when you get into cards as commodities and they're easily to flip. Those are cards that we want to say are like stocks and go up and down. This isn't what highly collectible, this, that's not the traits of a highly collectible car. Highly collectible cards are tough to acquire, aren't readily available, and take some conversations typically between collectors to pry them out of those collections. I think the era matters. I'm convinced that products we've that have seen the most success over a long term, a long period of time hit because of the timeline. There's a massive storyline with collecting that doesn't get talked about enough, but we want cards that trigger memories from an earlier time in our lives. Grant called this out by talking about, and he told you all, said, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm buying it. And to me, it made a lot of sense when he was talking about the steroid era guys, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds. 
What does the mainstream tell you? They tell you enough. They don't buy the steroids, guys. We don't want this. But at the end of the day, those are the types of cards that we all remember or the types of players that we all remember in that time, in the demographic of people that are probably the highest listening to the show. Remember, I remember where I was when the uh, home run race was going on. And those cards mean something to me. Like that, those memories mean something to me. So I think nostalgia matters. I think first matter. I think like, think about things like 2012 gold prisms and the craze and people liking them. And hell, they're even making flashbacks of those now in the new prism set. Uh, but first, like the first year of certain things, I think that matters. Said collecting. Said collecting matters more than anything. So rarity plus this co- formula in this combination. Rarity plus the desire to collect causes prices to go up. Easy one to look at is 97 PMGs and the pursuit of a, that complete set. I think irrational thoughts and feelings come up when obscure players are popping and you don't care if they're obscure players because they're in that specific set and you need that obscure player to continue your build of something. And what I wanted to do in in exploring this, and I think just the easy one to call out are these are the 97 PMGs just because they're always the example is I was digging in, I was trying to look through conversations and I found a thread on blowout that I think was taking place around this time last year. And I'm going to call out some blowout forum names and just some posts, but try to piece some of this stuff together on collectability because I think some things come out from this thread that I want to like shine a light on because it's important. So the start, the, this thread started, and there's a ton of conversation on this, but just pick some moments of it. So thread started by blowout user Vladdy Jr. He said, I'm going to get ripped to shreds and that's okay. The value of these cards has always been on my mind for the longest time and I need to be educated. Why are 90s precious metal gems so valuable? I know that they are rare, but for me, it ends there. I hear many collectors say it's nostalgic. They love collecting 90s hoops. They're the most beautiful cards ever made. To be honest, I think the cards look awful. Furthermore, all the ones I've seen graded by PSA, so I'm so I'm going to assume a large percentage of them are trimmed. Okay, so you got opinions on this already. You've got some assumptions on this already. Just want to call that out. I'll go on a limb and say the market for these cards has been manipulated to the highest degree. Another assumption. Um, but give me 86 Fleer or 80 Star Rookies any day of the week over the PMGs. Okay, so a lot of assumptions in that the, that post and a lot of speculations. But that this is what kicked off the thread. And so this is why I wanted to call this post out. So. Uh, skepticism, certainly, um, which is typically a trait of highly collectible items. Um, obviously a lot of views when we're talking about cards without data or facts is speculation. A post and that I want to call it here is from user junior doctor, Jason DR 91. He says the PMG, the PMGs have been tagged as the Holy grail kind of issue for 90s guys to each their own i get it the prices are extremely high because a collector is building the set and upgrading when he can should he step away from pmgs the market will adjust accordingly if wealthy guys step away then commons will drop and the stars will adjust okay so that is a theory they have but i think i wanted to call out that he calls out the set collecting of it all which i do think is really important and we're going to get into that a little more. But 
What I would say on the PMG front with this is that a lot of the time when you have the set collecting going on, the result isn't I want to sell these. It's I'm going to build this set to keep it. So these cards by collectors that are building these sets like PMGs aren't going to be made available if ever made available because they're part of a set. So I just wanted to call that out. But I thought this was good. So I think when I was reading these posts about collectors building sets and this all going down, like I obviously uh, tried to draw a connection and people who I've seen talk about products like 97 PMGs and building out sets. And one individual that's undeniable that I think has been a part of this has been Nat Turner. And I'm, so I'm thinking like everyone's talking about Nat on this. And then Nat chimes in, he enters the thread and he clarifies and talks about why he thinks these cards um, have gained traction and are important. But one thing that I think is important that I want to call out that he said is a trait is uniqueness, which is I think a really strong trait that makes cards collectible. He says, it's hard to argue that these things aren't unique. The championship PMGs of 50 are awesome too, but honestly look pretty similar to the base card. Same with the Skybox Premium Star Ruby parallels out of 50 and the 98-99 Metal PMGs out of 50. The 97-98 EX 2001 credential parallels are quite unique like red and green PMGs, which may contribute to why they've taken off in value too, combined with their unique serial number sequencing. Back to the red PM, red and green PMGs. I still remember turning over that Kittle's green PMG. Not sure if all of them were like this, but this one was upside down in the pack. And seeing the bright green foil, which really stood out, even next to the innovative, colorful, metal futuristics design of the base cards. Today, when I show people cards who haven't been exposed to them before, they often point to and ask questions about these PMGs as they really stand out no matter what you put them up next to. Then we have a post. From Kobe 101 user, all it takes is two or three whales collectors to go for a set and prices spike. After that, player collectors will go for it and the prices increase more. Add in sheep that buy when they are told to buy, and boom, prices go nuts. I think all of this is so fair. In like Kobe 101's post, um, really stands out to me because you have to have people who have funds to want to collect a whole set of something. And that is what's gone on with 97 PMGs, red and greens. And then player collectors come in and then other people see this and they're sheep and then they want to buy it. I think the, all those traits really are important. And likely we haven't seen the drop of 97 PMGs because people more likely than not want to hold these cards. I have a Marvin Harrison red PMG that I don't know under any circumstances if I would ever sell it just because the card is special to me. And I think that's how a lot of people who own PMGs feel. When I think about uniqueness, I think about the quality of being, it's the quality of being one of a kind and one of a kind and being completely limited is a winning recipe. I think whales have to be collectors when we talk about whales and want those cards more than they want the money. Most cases, to me, it's not pumping, it's passion. It's buying these cards to hold. And because people know you as a collector, you're giving further exposure to certain products, which help inspire others. And that's what, make thing, that's what helps make things collectible. 
You don't have to personally like sets that are deemed collectible because not everyone is going to like or desire the same stuff. That's okay. I love this idea of building something, and that's where I think set collecting along with really unique cards is powerful. Nostalgia plays a role in that. I think finding something interesting is unique. If it ends up being highly collectible by others and the price goes up, that's fantastic. If it doesn't, it's all good to me because at least I own something that's cool to me. What do you think makes something collectible? Something to think about. I hope you like this episode. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be doing more stacking slabs. I got my man Jameson, Exquisite Sports Collectibles, on the program this Friday. Let's freaking go. Take care. Peace.